This is Asian Insider and I'm Nirmal Ghosh. Today we look at the 70th anniversary of the establishment of the People's Republic of China, marked on October 1 by a massive parade in Beijing with a huge military component and a vow by President for Life, Xi Jinping, that nothing is going to stop China. No force can shake the status of our great motherland or stop the Chinese people and nation from marching forward. So joining me on Skype today are the Straits Times Beijing Bureau Chief Tan Donwei, Beijing correspondent Dan Sun Chong, and in Singapore, the Straits Times Associate Editor Vikram Khanna. Dawn and Danson, hi, you were at the parade. What are your impressions? What stood out? Well, if I can start, you know, it was pomp and pageantry with Chinese characteristics. Uh, what struck me was, in fact, the brevity of Mr. C's speech. It was only eight minutes long, and he had repeated some of the points which he made uh, just the night before at a banquet. Um, reunification with Taiwan, uh, a promise to stick to the one country, two systems model, and that China will continue on its path of national re rejuvenation. So even though the speech itself, yes, uh, um, at uh, the parade was, was um, very short, I think the message was very clear that you know these were the points that he wanted to make. Although it was a little, um, you know, you kind of expected that he might have used the occasion because, you know, it's the 70th anniversary of the founding of the People's Republic of China. And and China is going through some, some difficult times. You know, it's facing a multitude of challenges, not least of which uh, the economic slowdown and this intense rivalry with the United States. So I suppose we had expected him to maybe stoke nationalism a little bit more, sort of rally the troops, as it were, um, and um, and to project that that strength and that power a bit more. But then, even though the, the like I said, even though the speech was short, um, I think the message was was very clear that you know no one is going to stand in the way of China's continued rise. Okay, very interesting. It took it took a long time this parade. Uh, now, is this China's defining moment? Uh, it's the seventieth anniversary, and how? But how much of it is Xi Jinping's defining moment? Well, well in terms of the military, I think uh, you know it was under Xi that you know in twenty fifteen, um, you know China began sort of sweeping reforms in the military. You know that that included. A massive reorganization of the PLA, you know, the the whole intention of it, you know, is, is to turn uh, the PLA into a sort of leaner and modern uh, fighting force. Uh, strong armed forces is, is a key part of, you know, Xi's uh, uh, Chinese dream of, of national rejuvenation. So, you, you know, uh, and yesterday, you know, we, we saw a lot of these things on display, you know, we, we saw China, China's invested massively in R&D, you know, we saw uh, new ballistic missiles, new tanks, new drones. A lot of spectators, uh, you know, who were there, uh, told me, you know, it was a very, very stirring sight, you know, to see all these things, uh, uh, see the PLA, you know, march down in force uh, down Chang'an Avenue while you're surrounded by all these symbols of national power. Uh, uh, and I think uh, a large part of the nationalist fervor is, is because of uh, Xi Jinping. Um, I do, to quote you an example, uh, so security was very tight, and and almost every role had like a had like a security guard. And the guard that was assigned to my role, uh, you know, he was supposed to act stern and gruff. But you know, every time there was a a song that came on, you know, he would see him uh, try to to keep himself from smiling, and at the same time, he was mouthing the words. So it was it was it was, it was very very. Stern. I think a lot of this is due to uh, Xi Jinping's efforts. 
Vikram, I'd like yeah. to bring you in here. One of the key elements of China's global power now or global reach has been, of course, the Belt and Road Initiative, the BRI. Americans and some others call it coercive capitalism. India has stayed away. There has been a bit of a backlash. And more recently, China has to some degree acknowledged this criticism. Can you tell us about this, a little bit about this and whether China has made any adjustments in the way it is reaching around the world with its loans and so forth? Right. Now, the, the BRI was launched in 2013. It's uh, Xi Jinping's signature initiative. It's a massive initiative spanning 70 countries under which China builds infrastructure, you know, roads, railways, ports, power stations, and so on uh, across Asia, um, large parts of uh, Central and Eastern Europe, Africa, all the way to actually Western Europe, uh, in, including Italy. So uh, on paper, it's, it's a masterstroke. Um, you know, it's a very bold initiative. Uh, China gets to build all this infrastructure, which, is, which fills many gaps. Other people are not building this stuff. Um, China gets to export its excess capacity. Uh, China builds new trade routes uh, for the future. Uh, so it, 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 you know, it, it sounds like win-win all around, and countries get this spanking new infrastructure. But in practice, it's run into all kinds of headwinds, uh, as, you, as you suggested. Uh, I mean, one thing is that projects are just rushed through without proper due diligence. I mean, look at Malaysia's East Coast Rail Link. You know, there was no proper bidding process. Uh, the project was basically handed on a platter to the China Communications Construction Company. Or the Jakarta-Bandung Rail, the high-speed rail, where uh -huh. they didn't do any land acquisition study beforehand, and so the whole thing got delayed. Another problem is that there's, there's uh, massive cost overruns. I mean, the, these, these incredibly costly projects. Uh, Malaysia's project had to be scaled down from 66 billion ringgit to 44 billion ringgit. The deep water port in Myanmar had to be scaled down as well uh, by an uh -huh. even, even larger amount. Uh, and then a lot of them are not commercially viable. I mean, you have, for example, this project that goes from Suzhou all the way to Warsaw and Poland across the Gobi Desert. It doesn't make commercial sense. Now, these things oh. have to be subsidized, you know. So, so there are all kinds of problems, and then a lot of them don't have the buy-in of the local public because they're basically bilateral projects between Chinese entities and the political leadership, right? So there's been a lot of pushback on all these, on these, uh, for these reasons. It's interesting because I recently uh, wrote a piece based on a Pew uh, research uh, survey, which was released just a couple of days ago, actually. Yeah. And uh, I, have, I have the notes here. Uh, this was on uh, attitudes towards China globally. And, of course, in the U.S. and Canada, it's turned quite negative. And that's not surprising because it's been negative for quite some time in the U.S. ever since the U.S.-China trade war started and uh, China was... Um, officially identified as a strategic competitor. So in much of the West, uh, well, much of Western Europe, it is negative. In the US and Canada, it is negative. If you get to the Asia Pacific, and this is interesting, they surveyed five countries in the Asia Pacific. It was Japan, South Korea, Australia, Indonesia, and the Philippines. Japan had an 85% unfavorable rating. South Korea was at 63% unfavorable. Australia, 57%. The Philippines at 54%. And Indonesia, interestingly, it's China's favorability rating collapsed from 73% in 2002 
to 36 percent in 2019 this year. So that is quite interesting. It sort of reflects the public, um, the, the propaganda and uh, that some of the governments are putting out. Certainly in the states, there's a bit of rising sinophobia in the states. So may I ask all of you in th for th 30 seconds each, uh, your brief thoughts, Don, starting with you. Can President Xi Jinping, I mean, he spoke about upholding one country, two systems. What does that mean for Hong Kong? Well, I think for Mr. Xi to say it twice, once at the banquet on Monday night, and then again, uh, um, just before the parade on Tuesday, um, that, you know, he would, um, he, you know, he's pledging to, to uphold the one country, two systems model for Hong Kong and, and Macau. Is, is significant because up until this point, he hasn't really publicly discussed Hong Kong at all. Um, so, you know, there have been some worries that, uh, you know, China was going to wait until uh, the October 1st celebrations were over before they take any sort of action or, or even intervene. Um, but it does look right now that that is not going to happen. And uh, it looks like China is still going to continue to um, let Hong Kong take care of its own affairs unless something very dramatic or drastic happens. But of course, you know, it can still pull the strings from behind the scenes. Yes, absolutely. And Danson, about, uh, let's get to Taiwan for a moment. Uh, can you tell me very briefly, uh, will President Xi Jinping and China be able to get Taiwan on board for the so-called great rejuvenation? Mm. Well, well, like you said, Taiwan, I think, is a very, very difficult problem. Uh, you, you know, it's a reunification or reunification, if you're, if you're looking at it from, from uh, Beijing's uh, standpoint, uh, you know, is a key part of uh, great rejuvenation. And, you know, if the country is not whole, you know, can it be, you know, said to be, quote unquote, uh, rejuvenated or great? Um, you know, but the, the, the situation in Hong Kong is complicating uh, things. Uh, Taiwan has never had a good opinion of uh, the one country, two systems arrangement. Uh, and what is happening in Hong Kong is worsening views, you know, towards this uh, sort of arrangement. Um, I, at, at, this, at this point, you know, although the, the mainland has sort of kept up quite stern rhetoric, you know, saying it won't rule out uh, force, um, but, you know, it's dealing with a slowing economy, uh, deteriorating ties with the U.S. And I, I think it's very, very unlikely that China will invade and uh, risk, uh, you know, drawing the U.S. into a conflict uh, in, in this part of the world. So my, 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 my take is that anything, anything could happen, you know, there's still 30 years before uh, the target of, of great rejuvenation, and I think a lot can happen at that time. Vikram, on the economy, on China's economy, we hear all kinds of things, you know, some slowdown, a few jobs, some job losses and so forth is hurting and all that. And yet also we have this, this uh, huge display, the parade, uh, the nationalism and so forth. What is the state of China's economy? What are you feeling out there? Well, <clears throat> China's economy, I think, as Dawn mentioned, is slowing down. I mean, it's partly homemade. It's partly because there's been a massive sort of debt buildup in the corporate sectors. Like the overall debt is like 300% of GDP. And they've been trying to reduce that debt. So that means less lending, but that slowed down the economy. So then they pumped up lending again. And then you had the trade war come along, which has hit the ex export sector, hit the, hit the supply chains. So that's been a sort of a double whammy. Uh, so yeah, I mean, ha it has slowed down. It probably will slow down. It's also going through a transition from investment-led growth to consumption-led growth, which also involves some adjustment in the economy. So that's, that story will continue. So they're trying to prop it up by pumping up lending for the time being, but that might be creating more problems for the future. But Nirmal, I, I have a question for you. Um, uh -huh. 
you, you know, you mentioned the Pew Research report on countries' impressions of China, and you mentioned how Indonesia's impressions had really uh, significantly uh, deteriorated. Um, what is the change in other countries' impressions? I mean, they're a mix of favorable, unfavorable now, but overall, has the impression of China gone down or has the impression of China gone up overall, over the last, I don't know, 10 years? Overall, it's gone down. Okay. Over the last 10 years, overall, it's gone down and it's gone down significantly, of course, in the US and Canada and Western Europe and again in the, in the uh, Asia-Pacific countries that, this, uh, that Pew surveyed. So, uh, yeah, overall, it has gone down and, and it's declining globally on average. It's declining with the exceptions, again, of some countries in Eastern Europe, Ukraine, for example, Russia, they have a positive uh, impression of China. And as I said, Sub-Saharan Africa and uh, some countries in Latin America, like Brazil, uh, still positive. But generally, globally, it's gone down. Could you, it's been turned, neg turned negative, rather. Could you hazard a guess as to why you think it's gone down uh, so widely across many countries? Probably apprehension and probably like something like you were referring to about the BRI, you know, the sort of uh, uh, coercive capitalism uh, model, the cheap loans and so on and so forth, which eventually end up with a debt burden for the countries. And you know, people, you know, countries have you know, become more aware of it now. And uh, the, the volume of uh, noise generated by the U.S. administration on China, highlighting China's bad trade practices over the last number of years and so forth, that has sort of hit home to a lot of countries. And there is grudging, I have to say, there is grudging uh, appreciation for President Trump's tough stance against China uh, in many parts of the world, except perhaps in those countries which are sort of happy recipients of China's largesse, right? So in some countries in Africa, for example. So I think there's generally a more, more awareness of China's rising power and uh, a rising uh, military strength and this general apprehension about it. So anyway, thank you very much, Vikram, Dawn, uh, Danson. Thank you very much for being uh, with us today. That was that was great. Good thank luck you, out there. Thank you, Marvin. Thank you. Okay, so that's a wrap for Asian Insider this week. Very interesting week. Uh, definitely a moment for China. The October 1 celebration was quite spectacular. It was noticed all around the world. Here in the States, there was particular attention paid to the military might on display. Till next time. This is Nirmal Ghosh for Asian Insider.